what is up conscious monkeys welcome to another episode of traveling to consciousness i'm your host clayton kuteri on this episode we are sitting down with one of the realists <laughs> she has her own coffee business she has her own podcast which merges kind of consciousness fulfillment and success kind of i guess what we're doing here but i'm sure she has her own little spin on it but while we're here conscious monkeys welcome to the show teal cooper teal, thanks, thanks clayton thank you i'm super pumped to be here yeah i'm happy to have you very excited yeah, so, yeah i mean so first of all like I guess we can start with the podcast. Like, was that a good way to kind of summarize it? That was a yeah. way I kind of pulled out. No, I think it's very much aligned with yours with, um, you know, traveling to consciousness. It's just kind of, I guess, um, warped into the world of entrepreneurship in the sense of more of like, how can we live our most fulfilling lives and really just step into a higher state of consciousness and become in alignment in order to do that. It, upon my initial research, I seemed like it was kind of like in the more entrepreneurial space, but I hesitated whenever I was. <laughs> but here's the thing, the like intro. that was my niche going into it, but I'm open to it kind of finding its place. Like that's just what I'm interested in right now, but I'm also interested in spirituality and relationships and like psychology. So it's like, I don't want to narrow it down too small and kind of just like, it's more broad, all things fulfillment, because that's what I'm like the most passionate about is how can we find fulfillment and live our best life. I don't know if you can cuss on this or not. <laughs> I almost yeah, just said. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. Shit piss fuck. We got them all. No censored, uncensored, uncut, the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually a good lead into what my first question usually is. And speaking of fulfillment, what was the first thing that you kind of wanted to be when you grew up? And how did you maybe see that as possibly being fulfilling in your life? Yeah. Like when I was growing up, I honestly can't remember thinking I want to be this or I want to be that. Like it, I wasn't the person who was like, I know I want to be a doctor or I want to be a um, lawyer. I had no idea. Like I really don't remember having any set clear direction or goals. And then I don't even remember the word entrepreneur being a thing growing up either. Both my parents were entrepreneurial though and had their own businesses. So I definitely had them to look up to as role models. But I guess the first time in my life that I found fulfillment, like I had jobs and internships, but, and I went to school and I never really felt passionate about anything until the idea for my company came about. And I can totally go into all of that too. But that was like the first time where I found like full whole body consuming fulfillment and passion. Well, how old were you when you started your company? I, so that happened my junior year of college. And then we <laughs> launched it my senior year. So I was 21. We'll 22. Okay. So let's, let's wind it back to your like 10 or 12. Okay. Let's so start a little bit earlier. Yeah. Like honestly, 10 or 12, I'm like, I'm trying to think like I was just super free spirited. Like I loved people. I loved making friends. I don't remember thinking like, I want to be, um, a certain career path. Like I really don't remember that. And I just, I remember going, growing up and I, I loved, um, like I was just extremely social and like I was very curious about people and I was also a really big like daydreamer. And I remember like staring at the ceiling and pretending that we were walking backwards for hours. Like I would do weird things like that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like you're checking off all the boxes of a podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so you got a bright future there. <laughs> Amazing. But I'm going to kind of 
push you to the fire a little bit more. So was there like, did your parents like never ask you what you wanted to be? Or was that question never proposed to you? My parents were always like, you could be anything you want to be as long as you put your head, your mind to it. Like they're, the world is your oyster. The sky is the limit. They always um, encouraged me to think big, which I love. And I'm so grateful that I had that mindset growing up instilled in me. Um, but no, like for two seconds, maybe I thought I wanted to be um, actually, okay, no. I wanted to be on Disney Channel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wanted to go. be like um, Miley Cyrus. Like that was what I wanted to do when I was like 10 years old. And I actually like would go on auditions and um, did dance class. Like I, my only thing I ever got was a Healy's commercial in high school. Oh, I think I was yeah. in middle school or high school. I don't even know. And so I was really like, that's what I was into. And that's what I thought I wanted to be. But that was like a phase. It wasn't a long term. I grew out of it. I think I'm going to count it. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm glad I remembered that. <laughs> but that's hilarious. And it's funny you say uh, Miley Cyrus, because I remember, I don't know if I was like in love. I mean, Disney was so, you know, magnifying, I think, as a kid. But I remember Hannah Montana being on the TV quite a bit. That was such a great show. Oh, I was obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know our age difference, but it like, how do you know how old you, you were when that show came out? No, I know I'm 27 right now. Oh, that's how old I am. Okay. So yeah. Um, we were like, I was at the age where it was, it made sense for me to want to be her (laughs) when that show came out. You were like, this chick is, (laughs) I was obsessed. Did you want to be her or did you want to like live a life like her? Yeah. I mean, like I, I thought it would be the coolest thing on earth to be her like acting in that show in Hannah Montana. You like that polarity of having like the the secret life, I guess, like having the the life of a star and then also having like that normal life. For sure. And I just thought um, like I resonated with the show. I like related to it. It made a lot of sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So so this Healy's commercial. <laughs> yeah, the Healy's commercial, my, to, my big break. <laughs> were you able to find it? Oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. I can show it to okay. you after this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm going to throw it down in the description below. <laughs> oh my God. I'm in it for two seconds. It's literally like a pan out of a park. I plop in the Heelys and then I Healy away. Oh, that's still pretty badass. <laughs> I thought it was so cool at the time. And I got paid like $1,000 for it, which was a lot Damn. of money. I, like being so young, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm rich. But after that, that was like my big break and that was it. I was done. Well, I mean, and Healy's like had a huge phase like back when we were kids too. I remember it was like the thing, like there was like a whole school rule that you couldn't wear Healy's because people were like getting injured with them. Yeah. No, I loved them. Yeah. So you're pretty much like the trendsetter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can say that. <laughs> we'll put that next to your title as well. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Healy's trendsetter. Well, so what was it like trying out for all these different auditions? Like were you, um, like, and I guess also how long was this too? Like the, how long was the phase of this part of my life? Yeah. Um, I would say probably like two years, maybe like two to three years. And I actually did, I went to acting class too. Like I'm remembering all this stuff now about my life. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> like I actually couldn't remember growing up, but um, I loved it. Like I loved, I was, I got super nervous and it definitely put me out of my comfort zone. And at a young age, it taught me a lot about 
rejection, which I'm now realizing all of this, which I never thought about before, but it kind of sets you up for um, getting thicker skin for when you're older and doing sales like I eventually did. And it, you know, you learn a lot about rejection and disappointment and not taking things too um, personally because at the end of the day, they're looking for an exact look and an exact like um, type and you have to match that type. It has nothing against you. Um, but yeah, no, I, I remember the Heelys one. Like I felt it after I was like, I got that. Like I just felt it click. And I was like, that was the first time where it actually like felt like I, um, like it matched, you know, like it, it was a, it was aligned, you know, I felt like I actually like nailed it, but the other ones I could just sense like, yeah, that was off or that was really bad. And basically you would, um, go in with a few other kids and they'd, have the camera on you. They'd ask you questions or have a script and you would like repeat the script back and then you'd get callbacks and there'd be like X amount of callbacks until you actually get the the job. I'm curious about how you describe that like alignment. You said you did a couple and they always felt like kind of off, but then this one just felt like you knew right away. Yeah. You can just feel like the energy in the room. I think even at that age, I could pick up on, okay, they really liked me. Okay. I was actually really naturally good at that. I wasn't forcing it. It felt um, like the whole, the whole thing just felt like energetically aligned. Whereas a lot of other times I would do it and it'd be like forced or, um, you know, you can just feel it feeling off after. Almost like were they for roles that didn't align with like who you were? Yeah, they'd be stupid things though, like a a toy. I was young, so it'd be like a Nickelodeon TV commercial for some doll, you know, or like, um, yeah, like I really can't remember what they were. But the Heelys were was the first thing where I actually like liked them because I would use them. I loved Heelys growing up, so and I was kind of like somewhat of a tomboy, and so um, yeah, it just made sense, I guess. You were just like the product fit for it. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I, in my mind, I'm making a relation with um, uh, Jim and Pam from the office. They they talk about how whenever they auditioned, uh, the other one was like, "You were perfect for that role. Like you're gonna get it." You know what I mean? And the other one, like they both said that about each other. And so I was curious if, like that alignment that you felt kind of with that Healy's commercial was kind of just like, uh, oh, like this is it. This is that one. Yeah. That's interesting. No, I didn't feel it till after the fact though, like going into, it, I had no idea. And then after, and actually my brother came with me for that one and I dragged him along and he wasn't into this at all. And I remember, um, that made me feel more comfortable too, having him being there. Um, so yeah, it was funny. <laughs> that's interesting. And then what happened with the, uh, the commercial career after that? Was it just that was the end of the phase? I think I just I was after that I was getting into high school and I just grew out of it. I was like, this isn't for me anymore. And that was fine while it lasted. And then um yeah, it, it wasn't until I mean in high school I felt like I wasn't even like I wasn't that into school and I don't think I had another passion really until um Bendy Bean really. Okay, so then so then with that like exit right on was there something that happened or did you just one day you were like my heart's not in this anymore yeah i think that's what it was and i think i was also you know probably not wanting to admit it at the time but i was like it was a lot of uh discouragement where i was like you know it took so long to get this one gig and like 
it's a lot of effort and energy. And I don't think I felt like uh, passionate enough about it to put the energy into it while also starting a whole new school with people I didn't know. And it was just a lot going on, different chapter of life, you know? Yeah. That sounds like a lot of, I guess, pressure, but a lot of change to put on, you know, someone that's younger. And then, so you're saying you changed schools. Was that like, did you guys move or was it like a different middle school to high school situation? No, I, so it was middle school to high school, but, um, the high school I went to was like a different one than what my middle school could transition into. So I went to just this different high school. Um, and my brother actually already went there first. He was younger, but in middle school. So I was going in into ninth grade and it was pretty normal because in ninth grade, there's a lot of different schools that kind of clump together. That so there's like multiple new people, not just me is a lot, but yeah, I mean, I didn't know. I think I knew one person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. That's everyone else went to the other school <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to be an outcast, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's that badass Healy's nature coming in. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if anyone knew about that too. I was like, I don't remember if I was like embarrassed or if I was proud of it. I honestly like, I'm actually concerned about how my memory is right now. <laughs> it's fading away. <laughs> I, I mean, from the sounds of it, you, you must've blocked that out for quite some time then. I probably surfacing now. <laughs> we'll have to go back and look at the commercial. Maybe there's some uh, indicators there as to why it got blocked out. It's really not bad. Like, I don't think that's it. You barely see me in it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll table that. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Um, so then I think I blanked out a little bit talking about memory. Uh, but what was it that you said you, what was the next thing you found your passion in? Once you kind of got to high school, you you kind of got situated in where you were at. You started making some new friends, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. there this another thing that like aligned with you at this point? In high school? Yeah. Um, for me in high school, it was, you know, I loved making new friends. I loved the social aspect. School, I don't remember there being one thing in school that I felt passionate about, to be honest. Like I never felt like school came easy for me. I was diagnosed with ADHD in high school. Um, so I was a distraction in my classes and all my teachers complained <laughs> because I was constantly talking to people. And so, um, my parents ended up medicating me. And then I like went into this dark hole of like not feeling myself for a amount of time on this medication and ended up stopping, like stop taking it because I hated the way it made me feel. But, um, I was like a pretty naturally happy person and I loved like, yeah, I loved being at school, just the actual, um, uh, classes and what we were learning. It just, nothing stuck out to me. Like, I don't remember being super passionate about anything in particular. Do you think there was, and I like discussing dark holes. So if, if I hit a spot, just feel free to push back. No, you're good. Do you think there was any correlation with you going on this medication and, well, maybe I should phrase it a little differently. What, it sounded like you kind of like went into a dark hole, you said. So, and you said there was nothing like really happy or fulfilling. Do you, do you feel like there was a correlation between taking, uh, you know, prescription, I guess, Adderall or anything like that? To be honest, I was like, I was still happy. And I, it was honestly short-lived, this dark hole medication, because I realized pretty quickly that I hated the way it made me feel. And... um I would just, my parents thought I was taking it and I stopped taking it. 
and I just wouldn't take it anymore because I didn't like the effects of it. But, and then eventually they stopped making me take it. But, um, like I was a pretty happy person in high school and like, I was a very like always smiling, fun, loving, high energy, uh, very similar to who I am today. But I don't like, I, I don't think it correlated with, um, the passion. Like I was still, I got like A's, B's and C's in school. Like I wasn't like failing out of anything. I did, um, cheerleading for a little bit, soccer for a little bit. Like I was involved in a sense, but more for like the social aspects. I wasn't like really good at sports or anything. I wasn't super passionate about sports. Um, I don't know. I don't think I found my passion till later. You were kind of just enjoying yeah, making I was just friends. Making, I was trying- learning things, figuring out what I liked, what I didn't like. I think high school is such a time of exploration of like who you are and you're, it's, the beginning. It's like, you don't even know who you are yet. You're just starting to discover. I mean, I think that's a great way to do it too. It's like, well, especially if you don't know what you want to do or what you enjoy doing, like the answer to that is almost that you need to try everything. Totally. And like the idea going into college and you have to pick a major before you go into college baffles me, you know, pretty crazy. (laughs) I think that's insane. You're asking like 18 year olds what they think they want to be for like the rest of their life. My sister says the same thing. It's nuts. She she always talks about how she uh, wish she had like a a leap year or like she had like a day a year off where mm-hmm. she could have kind of just like reevaluated everything and tried different stuff. So smart. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, we'll try to make that a part of the culture. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Let's start setting that cultural standard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So then, so first of all, where where did you grow up? What, what yeah. Part? I was in Dallas, Texas, um, and my parents kind of plopped there because my mom's from Los Angeles, my dad's South African and immigrated to LA. So they moved to Dallas before I was born for my dad's work. He was in real estate. And so I grew up going to California all the time. And so I ended up going to college at San Diego State. And Uh, I was like the only person in my high school to leave to go to California. Like everyone called me this like liberal hippie free. (laughs) And I was like, you guys don't even know, (laughs) like have fun rotting in Texas. (laughs) Just kidding. But I mean, I love Texas, but I will never move back. Like I, I love the ocean and I can't imagine my life without it. But, and my parents want to move out here too, but they built a life, you know, in Dallas and it's been great for them. So yeah, I'm currently in San Diego. Tell them to get a beach house. I know. They're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Just need to manifest a little bit harder. Yeah, exactly. I mean, San Diego is a hell of a place to be. Like, there's really nowhere else in the world like it. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with it. Like, I know. It's the best. I'm going to be back soon. I'll, okay. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm coming across, actually. So I'll be there. Oh, my God. That that's. March? The first weekend of March. I'm gone that weekend actually for a wedding in Dallas. <laughs> but uh, you used to <laughs> live in San Diego. Yeah, for four years. Okay. Three or four. four yeah. Years, four years. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I, I'll be back eventually. I yeah. think I'm on that travel thing right now where I just got to keep traveling around and then we'll find our way back. For sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Manifest some uh, pretty cool trips coming up. So Amazing. That's exciting. Yeah. I am excited. I'm excited about it. Um, But before we keep talking about what I'm excited about, I'm interested in hearing what you were excited about when you went to college in San Diego, you know, a mixture of, you know, what did you pick and 
was San Diego this liberal, liberal hippie place that Texas thought it was? Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> and I think I was, um, I fit in way more in San Diego than I did in Dallas. Like I stuck out kind of like a sore thumb. I like the school I went to at least it was really, um, conservative and most people there had like their roots in Texas. So it just didn't really fit in that well, to be honest. But yeah, no, when I went to San Diego, I was like, this is my place. These are my people. I like, um, connected really fast with a lot of my best friends who are still my closest friends today. Um, and yeah, I went in and I'm, we, some of my friends who I initially met had older siblings there and they were like, yeah, this major is the broadest. So you can, you can pick this and you'll figure it out later. And there's a lot of different options. So I ended up picking that one and it was called journalism media studies. So you can pick between like, it kind of branched out into like marketing, PR, um, advertising, and that's the realm of like the major that I chose. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I was, I like took all the classes, did all the things. And I, I still was like, nothing's really sticking out to me. Like classes in itself for me was never a place where I felt like I really learned information. Like I learned from doing and like in being in the real world of like internships or experiences or, um, you know, like I, I have friends who are like, yeah, I remember this one time I learned this in this class. I'm like, how do you remember that? Like, I don't remember anything I learned in school, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, maybe we do need to check out your memory. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's just nothing stuck out to me in school. And I don't know. I think that it seems more common than I think. Like, I talked to a lot of people and I don't know. Maybe that's just San Diego State education. <laughs> who knows? I do want to point out real quick before we get too far away. Uh, whenever you said these are my people, I want everyone listening to know that like Teal got like in the microphone to say that. So <laughs> I don't know if that came through, but like you, you got aggressively close to your mic whenever you said that. Oh, I did. <laughs> you were like, these are my people. I was like, oh, damn. Like, That's so funny. I need to not do that. It's like so loud. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I thought it was good. Energy. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. Interesting. <laughs> like a rap song. <laughs> yeah. These are my people in San Diego. Yeah, I love it. Uh, that's cool. So you took like a, you found like a kind of a, a general course, I guess. Yeah, it was like a general like, broad major, all encompassing on like marketing, media studies, PR, advertising, communications. Um, and I enjoyed it. You know, like I, I met a lot of people through classes and um, I did Greek life for two years and then I dropped out because I was like, I don't really need this anymore. I found my friends. and. I had the best college experience. Like I truly loved it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's so hard to not love it. Yeah. What, what did you say you went to? You, SDSU? SDSU, yeah. SDSU. Is that the one in La Jolla? No, that's the one. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like college. It's like on the 80s. Um, okay. Like east of Point Loma? No. I, I blank. Mission. What's how, how do you describe the area? Oh my God. It's like you go on, down the 80s pretty east and then it's um, – I'm blanking. It's out it's there. Out there. Oh, it's okay. it's not in an it's area where you would go to if it weren't for that school. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, it's like either that stadium is where the Chargers used to play. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's okay. like right, it's Mission Valley. Mission no, Valley? No, 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 no. No. <laughs> not there. Well, this is probably really bad radio. <laughs> People don't listen – don't live in San Diego. <laughs> edit it out I mean, you don't edit things out no we don't edit <laughs> i love it people are gonna be like okay on to the next well, yeah whatever people can fast forward we're gonna get into better stuff later so um i don't know whatever doesn't matter doesn't matter 
it's all happening as it should, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's keep moving along because I want to get to the spirit. Well, maybe it's a good check-in spot. Yeah. Have what would be whenever you were in college or, you know, whenever you were, maybe even in high school. Give us like a little bit of a timeline of what you thought in those years about spirituality, about manifestation, about crystals, anything yeah. in that kind of realm. So my mom. Did you, did you uh, watch The Secret, the doc- documentary? No, I have not. Okay, so when that came out, um, I was like probably 10, and my mom was obsessed with it. So I watched it with her a couple times, and I don't think it really fully um, – like I grasped all the information at that age, but she raised me, like instilling a lot of that in me, like law of attraction. Like we made vision boards together. I already kind of had that um, foundation, which was really – awesome because I grew up with that mindset and didn't really know it. And I don't even remember really knowing like the the term law of attraction then. But as I learned it later on in life, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is what my mom basically raised me on. And so I wouldn't consider that like at that age being in high school, college, I don't know if I considered myself spiritual yet. Like I don't remember thinking like about manifestation or knowing what those words were and how to ref- – like I remember having deep thoughts about life and the meaning of life, but I don't think I was considered – like I didn't have my spiritual awakening at that point in time yet. It was kind of more just like – it sounds like, at least to me, it was like more like a logical construct almost. More so, but not really logical. More of like I think in the grand scheme of things, it was very much aligned with the – concepts of manifestation with that mindset and law of attraction and energy. I was big on energy um, just naturally because I grew up in that environment. My mom was pretty spiritual. Um, Maybe I was familiar with the term spiritual, but I don't know if I was like, I'm spiritual yet at that point in my life. Um, Like, you know, I'm still at this point figuring out who I am, exploring, going through, you know, different chapters. But yeah, that's kind of where I was at mindset wise. Okay, cool. I mean, that's that's pretty interesting because I I don't think I'm aware of too many people that have been, at least in our generation, have been exposed at like that level. I know. Um, growing up. I know. And like I look back and I'm, I think it's played a huge role in my life because when I did become exposed as I got older, it clicked so well for me where I was like, wow, this all makes so much sense. And it's like I intuitively and instinctively just got it. And I felt like I knew it all along, but, um, you know, like I was kind of, it was like in my subconscious programming, you know, and it's, I feel really blessed and really lucky that I was able to experience that at a young age. Did you ever talk to friends at high, in high school about this stuff? No, like not at all. Not at all? No, I don't (laughs) think so. (laughs) I don't remember talking about this stuff with anyone, like, it seemed like it was just a topic of like, and I don't even remember talking about this with like, I guess like my mom would bring it up in, in different ways, but it wasn't like I was sitting around the dinner table talking about um, manifestation or law of attraction. Like my dad's not spiritual. Um, you know, my dad's very logical minded. Um, yeah. I don't remember really talking about it at that age. That's interesting. So you would have never talked to your dad about all of this stuff? Yeah, No. Interesting. So were you just having these conversations like on the side with your mom? Yeah, I guess. Like when we made vision boards, it was just my mom and I. And then um, 
I think my dad was open to it, but he wasn't like into it. And it's crazy because when I was making the vision board with her, I was 10 putting like random things on my board that made no sense. But my mom's, every single one's come true, like every single one. And it's insane because she was obviously like old enough to know what, what she wanted. Um, it's crazy. And yeah, it's, have you looked back on yours? No, I, I think it got buried in the trash, like, Uh, but I've made vision boards since and I'm a huge advocate for them. I love them. I wonder if there was a picture of Heelys on your uh, first one. (laughs) There wasn't. I don't think there was. I, I think I put like, um, I remember cutting out like an MTV like award, like some, I was like looking at the teenager magazines, you know, like, I don't even know. The kids choice award. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. You had one of those little awards on there. Yeah. Nice. I mean, you know, I, you just got to commit to it, right? I guess that's kind of the interesting thing though, too, right? Is if you don't really know what you're doing, you might not be aligned with picking what you truly want, right? Totally. And I think when you don't really know what you want, that confuses the universe. And so if you don't know what you want, but at the time I thought, you know, maybe I want this, but I was like 11 years old. So it obviously shifts and changes. I mean, even as we grow up, we change what we want. And um, I think being intentional and like decisive is really important. Right. And I mean, even on top of that, like, I I feel like there's at least some part of the the journey or some part of the travel is, you know, having those intermediate things of, okay, well, let's say it's a car or something, right? Like I want this car. And as you're progressing towards it, you start to realize like, wait, like this isn't like, yeah, I mean, a car would be nice, but this isn't really what I wanted, you know? And so to me, it feels like it's like one of those stepping stones. Totally. Or it could just be like something from the ego that you want instead of something that your, your soul wants. And so I feel like that happens all the time where you get the car and you're like, oh, this didn't really feel like I thought it would feel. Right. Do you feel like that there's a unhealthy amount of using the ego to like in with things that you might be wanting to manifest? Like me personally or just in general? In general, if there's like a, I mean, personal experience or if like. I've definitely used, like I've, I've had experiences where I've manifested from the ego And now I'm at the point where I can differentiate what is ego driven and what's not. Um, Here's the thing. If you're manifesting from the ego, you're still going to get it. It doesn't, doesn't um, uh, deter you from getting it. It's just, it's not going to, sometimes if it's not aligned, it might not happen, but I mean, it's not going to feel the way you thought it would feel if it's ego driven, you know, it's not going to be like expansive and actually, because I think at the end of the day, the reason why we want anything in life is because of the feelings that we think we're going to feel when we achieve it or get it. And so a big thing I've learned through my podcast too, is that we need to focus on trying to embody the feelings in the present, like through the process instead of waiting till the end. So we don't, you know, get there and we're like, all right, what's next? Okay. Like let's get to the next milestone, you know, and we can actually enjoy the process. I think that's a huge, a huge important, you know, piece of the puzzle when manifesting. Um, you know, that's something I've definitely heard numerous people talk about. Do you feel like there's a correlation here? Um, you, you mentioned it earlier, law of attraction. Have you heard of uh, like Neville Goddard and the law of assumption? I haven't heard of that person, but I've heard of the law of assumption. Like, like yeah, core concept being like, 
you know, you're attracting to you what you want. But then assumption is more just like, oh, I already have it. Yeah. No, I think Do that's you- really important. And it may, it's more of like embodying the feelings of what it would feel like if you already had it, which I guess is kind of like law of assumption. Because when you're stepping into that version of yourself that already has whatever it is you want, already has achieved whatever it is, then you're matching the frequency of that energetic frequency of really attracting it to you because you're already, it's like a radio knob. You're already like tuned into it. So you're just going to attract it versus like if I'm down here and I'm like, I want it, I'm like wanting it. I'm not actually being it. So I'm not going to be able to be a match for it. If that makes sense. No, it does. You're, you're in the frequency of wanting versus the frequency of being. being. Yeah. And I think it's all about being. So when you say law of assumption, it's like when I assume I already have it, then I, I am being it. And I think that's what it comes so down do, to. Do you feel like there's a difference between law of attraction and law of assumption? I feel like they go hand in hand. I think um, to in order to attract, you have to assume. You know, like you have to embody and like match that frequency in order to be a, a magnet to attract it. In order for it to come like your way. Yeah. It's like... And I think that can go into any um, category of your life, right? Like relationships or wealth or, I mean, abundance is abundance in relationships, love, money, everything. So, yeah. Interesting. That's something I've always kind of been not sure about, I guess, or always been kind of like going back and forth in my mind about, you know, the law of attraction versus the law of assumption. Maybe partially it's just a lack of, understanding both of them fully but it, i mean it feels like they're over they cross over each other so so much that it's almost the same i guess in my mind but maybe there's a slight difference that i'm missing yeah to me they feel very similar um i guess they just have you know it's two different laws so to me it just makes more sense that they go hand in hand it's like you need one for the other and then there's the law of detachment have you heard of that law <laughs> Um, I have not. <laughs> so that's the one that I learned the most the past two years, like from firsthand experience. And that to me, I think is the most important law there is. <laughs> Can you give uh, yeah. the listeners, the conscious monkeys a quick rundown? Yeah. So like, let's say, okay. So whenever we're attached to something like where we need this thing to happen in order to feel happy, achieved, accomplished, whatever it is, it's like, we're suffocating it because we want it to happen so bad. Like we're so attached to it. So we're like trying to control the outcome versus like if we're detached where actually this goes hand in hand with the law of assumption. Let's say you're in the law of assumption, you're assuming you already have whatever it is, then you're detached because you don't need that thing to happen. You already have it. So you're not going to be attached to it. You're going to be detached if you already have it. So when you're attached to something it's like you're giving off that energy of need and you're giving off the energy of lack. You're like, I need this thing to happen. I'm gripping it so hard. And that's what I was doing with my business. And I learned like, oh, this is why I'm not seeing results because I'm literally like coming from a place of lack every day. And I didn't even realize it. Now, was it... <laughs> did I explain it right <laughs> you, or well? You did. I think there's like a lot of things going through there. Okay. Um, at least it hit me as a lot. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's break it down. Let's let's decompress it a little. <laughs> it was a good intro. Okay, let's good, decompress like, it. He's everything that's happening. Okay, let me think of like a metaphor to um 
um, connect it to, I guess dating is an easy one to understand. So it's like when someone's coming across as needy or desperate, it's like, you can feel that energy. You can, you can really tell like, okay, this person is attached to the idea that they need to be in a relationship versus if someone doesn't need a relationship and they're happy on their own and they feel fulfilled and like satisfied in their life and they don't need to have someone else to make them happy and feel whole, that energy is so much more attractive. And you can, that person is going to attract more to them because they are not in the state of need and lack. They're in a state of abundance. So it's like that mentality, if you can bring that energy to money and to business, like, I mean, for my own personal example, like I was, um, you know, trying to hit X amount of sales every month, trying to place X amount of machines every month. And every month I wasn't seeing return. And so I got discouraged month over month. Like, why am I not hitting this? And then I got even more attached. Like I need this to happen in order to, you know, feel accomplished. I need this to happen in order to like pay myself X. Like I was just attaching so hard onto, you know, the numbers I needed to hit that I stopped like having fun in the process and I stopped feeling joy. I stopped actually enjoying the journey. And then COVID happened and it actually forced me to just like fall on my face. And it really taught me everything about detachment because I had nothing to attach to. Like my business literally almost crumbled and I had nothing to do for like three months. And luckily like loans helped us stay afloat. But like, I realized like, wow, I, my whole identity was, um, you know, my self-worth was like wrapped around my business. And so I needed to detach from my business in order to realize like, okay, I'm actually happy and whole and I I am my own identity without my business. And once I realized that, I like didn't put that energy of lack and need into it. And I became okay with the idea that if my business were to shatter tomorrow, I will be okay and I will figure it out and I'll start something else. Or you have to be so okay with whatever it is that you want crumbling the pieces in order to like completely detach from it. And then we, when you show up with that energy, the universe rewards you because the universe is like, okay, this person is whole and happy and um, worthy on their own. They don't need anything else. So you're already becoming a match to attracting it. So we're definitely going to dive into the whole <laughs> business aspect of it because <laughs> I'm interested there. But if I could if there's like a quick way to summarize it, would it sound something along the lines of like, you need to assume you already have it, but since you are assuming you already have it, it detaches you from wanting it? Or is it like more of a personal identity detachment that needs to happen? I think it's both. I think when you assume you already have it, because if you already have something, you're not attached to it. It's like, if it's like, as simple as like, I want water and I know I'm going to get water. Like I, I know I'm going to drink it. So I'm not like focusing so much on drinking water and like over attaching to it. Like I know I'm going to have it. It's like, if you assume you're, you already have it, then you're automatically detaching from it. I think, right? Like it kind of goes hand in hand, but the self-worth and identity thing I think is separate. It's like, cause that can play into a bunch of different roles. So yeah, with like business, it's like, if you're detached, then you're detached from it being a part of your, your self-worth and your identity too. Yeah. I think that there's, yeah, 
I'm picking up, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to practice how I'm like, um, expressing this because I'm just like verbal processing it all right now. <laughs> I don't know if it it's make, making time. sense to anyone else but me, but I'm hoping <laughs> people are, are catching what I'm putting out. <laughs> I mean, I think that's something that just kind of happens with podcasts. Yeah. I mean, even whenever I was, whenever you graciously hosted me on yours, I think that was something I was, there's these new ideas that come up and then you're kind of on the spot, like, I think it's a little bit of this, but maybe it's a little bit of that. And you kind of have like this back and forth going on where you're trying to figure out like how true it is. It's like, it's a little bit of this, but it's not so much that. And you're kind of like walking back and forth that line. For me, it's not that I I know it's true. Like I don't feel back and forth. It's just, I don't know how to express it to make it for it to make sense to anyone else. Cause it makes so much sense to me in my head. <laughs> and it's like, it feels so true and feels so, um, right? Like I know it's, it's a, it's how the universe works. Like I've seen it firsthand in my own life, how it works. Once I've detached miracles plopped in my life, more abundance has come in than ever before. I don't need to like, um, convince myself. It's more of, I don't know how to like express it in the right way. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the angle I was trying to go with it is, is that you have this idea, this framework of what's going on, how it's happening, but then to, take that amount of knowledge which is arguably infinite and then to compress it down into words it's hard articulate those words <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> using words i understand using words that people are going to understand you know and to summarize all that that was what i was kind of for sure trying to lay out yeah and yeah i think finding the right words can be a challenge but yeah i think i don't know i think it made sense <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and to to point out how crazy it is, right? We were just talking about the word assumption, attraction, and detachment, and trying to argue that they're all roughly the same thing. <laughs> That's so true. They all they all pretty much clump together and and all mean the same thing in just different ways. <laughs> That's probably going to help like two people, and everyone else is going to be like, "What the hell are they talking about?" I know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Is there weed in the air in San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> There's really not. <laughs> it's coffee. Oh, man. Well, speaking of coffee, um, let's let's keep going on with your story then. Okay, let's that was a really the... big tangent. Um, no, I lo- that's hey, that's what we're here for. We're here for the wormholes. Okay. Uh, we left off. You were in college. Let's see here. You were a, a rising Disney princess <laughs> for wearing Heelys. The Healy's princess. Okay. And then it wasn't a fit for you. You ch- changed schools. You then started going into college and you weren't sure what well, I'm losing my train of thought. What I wanted too. my major to be. Your memory thing's starting to leak onto me. No, it's not. <laughs> and then I basically went through college and I, you know, was having fun, great college experience, made a lot of amazing connections. And I think I learned a lot just about life through college, but yeah, nothing where I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. But did you pick a major? Cause I know yeah, you said you it was like JMS general... journalism, media studies is what I picked. That, well, like... that was a general one, but then there wasn't like a one that they pushed you off onto or no, I just kept it broad <laughs> the whole time. Uh, okay. Gotcha. You can just keep it like it, the emphasis was in actually the emphasis was in media studies is what I decided instead of like going a different direction. Um, I mean, podcast host. Yeah. There it comes back in again. Here we go. Yeah. It all makes sense in the end, connecting the dots, going backwards. But um, 
Yeah. So I guess my junior year, I studied abroad in Florence, Italy, wow. which was amazing. And it was um, you speak Italian. No, nothing. No Italian. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, a pretty common thing for college students to do at the time. And so a bunch of my friends and I went. Um, I w- we chose Florence. A lot of other friends went to Barcelona, other places too. Um, and my this was second semester junior year. And so I guess on the campus itself, there was this um, bulky looking, like nothing special looking, but this espresso vending machine. And there was always a line of students waiting for a cup of coffee from this vending machine. And I remember thinking, that's interesting. I've never seen anyone, like a line of kids or people waiting for a vending machine before. And one day during the break, I thought might as well just try it. And I tried it and it was actually really good uh, quality espresso. And that was kind of it. Didn't think twice about it. I was like, well, that's interesting. Something you see in Europe. And fast forward a couple of weeks later, my younger brother was in the library setting for finals at like 12 a.m. in UT in Austin. Called me and it was like the afternoon my time. And he was like, Teal, I have the best idea. And I was like, what? He was like, I'm in the library. There's nothing open. It's 12 a.m. crashing for finals what if we started a high quality coffee vending machine that students and like kids actually loved and we called it Vendy Bean? And I was like, I literally just saw this concept in my (laughs) school. Like it was a light bulb moment, you know? And I was like this whole fire, like passion consuming, you know, feeling took over my body where I was like, this is what I meant to do. Like it felt so right. Um, and it was funny because we joke about it now and he wasn't inviting me to do it with him. He just told me about this idea that he had, but I was like, no, this is like a hundred percent what I'm supposed to do. And so we're doing this together. Um, he was two years younger. So like he was just starting college and I was about to go into my senior year. And so, um, it was perfect timing for me to figure out like what to do next in the next chapter. So I guess that whole summer before my senior year, I spent just like calling different vending manufacturers and picking their brains and asking them a thousand questions about the industry. And I learned really quickly that the vending industry is archaic and it's pretty much just was like run by middle-aged men. And every single person told me that getting in the coffee vending industry was the stupidest thing you could do. And it's a dying industry and everyone's getting out. And I remember thinking like, this is all the validation I needed. Like this was exactly like, this is perfect. Like these guys don't get it. They're old. They don't see the vision. Um, you know, and I felt like I saw the concept and we saw, like, I just saw it working so clearly. And so, um, fast forward, you know, basically all of senior year I've spent just like executing and working on this and kind of like, I still was doing school, but wasn't my priority. And, um, Eventually, we launched the first prototype my senior year. I convinced this apartment by our school or like by the campus to let us place this machine. We took a loan from our dad for $6,000 to buy this machine. Our family friend helped us. He was like in branding and design, helped us brand the whole thing with the logo, the cups, everything. And I kind of just like we taught ourselves everything we knew about it was kind of just like doing, you know, there was nothing really else to do besides, you know executing and we ended up launching it. And I just remember thinking like it was the best day of my life because it was something that we were working on for a year or like, I guess half of a year and it actually coming into reality and thinking like, wow, now it exists in the real world. And it was incredible, you know, like seeing something come to life. But 
the funniest thing about the whole story is that the coffee was absolutely disgusting. Like the actual product was horrible. <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah. Like it was actually horrible. And it was funny because I promoted it in the school paper, all my best friends. I don't know if you saw my last Instagram post of the video. Like I, it was the video from Maybe. launch day and I had all my best friends repping Benny Bean branded tanks and hats. And we were like super high energy, screaming at students, like getting everyone to try the coffee, giving out free coffee for hours, blasting music, had the best time. Um, but the coffee was so gross. <laughs> yeah. Who did that get overlooked in the production? I just, we picked the wrong machine. A, it was, we did a lot of things wrong, but I don't regret it at all because we learned so much from it and we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't make those mistakes in the beginning. I'm curious what you were saying at the one point where you were calling the, uh, oh my gosh, what are they called? The vending machine. You were talking to the vending machine companies and you said that they were like archaic. It was older people. Why were they getting out of coffee? Why were they, why did they feel like it was dying? Because the te- the actual technology was horrible and the logistics behind the maintenance of them is a pain in the ass. And that's why there aren't a lot of um, competitors out there today because it's not just like going up to a vending machine and stocking consumer packaged goods with like snacks and sodas. This is actual, um, you know, product where it grinds. I mean, our machines now, this, the machines at the time didn't grind the beans, but it's like grind grinds the beans it creates actual um espresso based beverages so it's a lot more cleaning that's involved with the whole operation versus just like um supplying it with you know wrapped snacks and sodas and cans right where you can just have one person go in change these things out or open the door load it up take the money yeah totally um but i mean the, the manufacturers we're talking to were all American ba- or not like US based manufacturers. And that was <clears throat> our first mistake. So the machine itself, they weren't wrong. It was a piece of shit. And so it was just horrible. But I didn't realize at the time that was the issue was we needed to outsource overseas. And so we learned that I was gonna, the hard way. I was going to ask. I was going to ask. I was like, maybe I'm jumping ahead of the story. But did you, would you have gone to like a place in Europe or Italy even? Where yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about that because we I saw it in, in Europe. But I thought, I don't know, I just wasn't thinking big <laughs> enough. I wasn't thinking that was possible. I was so young and like I thought there could be an easier way. Like there was a manufacturer right in LA that we got this machine from. And I thought, you know, they didn't exist in the US yet, like American or European vending machines or, right. um, you know, outsourced from China or Japan or, you know, where they actually – are popular and common. So I wasn't thinking that way yet. And so, you know, we launched that prototype and for me, it was kind of all the validation I needed because I saw the concept. I saw a need for the concept and I saw that students were excited about it. And I saw the whole idea, like the branding was on point. Um, the idea was there, like the concept was there, but the product wasn't. So to me, that was like an easy fix. It's like going back to the drawing boards and just doing R and D to perfect the product. So whenever you had the first coffee machine, was that just like a standard model you got from somebody? Yeah. No, that was a a standard coffee vending machine from a manufacturer. But we branded it ourselves, like custom branded it. Right. Like fitted the outside with like your brand and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so then you needed to – well, so then let me see here. Let me try to get the story situated a little bit. 
so you you know you had this product you created it you used a vending machine from in the united states and then the coffee wasn't that good was that a product of the fact that the, the beans you chose or the way that that machine worked no it had nothing to do with the actual product it was the machine the machine itself was just really um janky like low you know not really functional the it wasn't innovative enough the capabilities weren't there um yeah it was the machine itself you couldn't it was all uh ground coffee with fil- filter systems not you know grinding beans to cup which our machines do now so at that point was that whenever you whenever you realized the coffee wasn't doing too well is that when you reached out to a european manufacturer so what happened was it was funny because we were posting all over in, or Twitter and social media. We got um, interest from this investor. And so this person reached out, wanted to invest. And we leveraged his – he actually owned a coffee shop. And so his whole team who does like the coffee roasting and um, I guess coffee tastings taught us a lot about coffee. And it was really cool that we got to leverage that. But the act- actual um, person ended up being kind of like – fake. <laughs> like he didn't actually have the funds to invest and it didn't, um, oh. it didn't turn out. It, we learned a lot from it, but yeah, it was kind of like an interesting situation, but, uh, we learned a lot through like his team, which was really cool. And we got to use his warehouse for free. It was awesome. But then, you know, fast forward a little bit more, um, we raised family and friend around. So a family friend invested and from there we've actually, yeah, we found the manufacturer overseas in Columbia. And we bought one machine and then we basically custom made a lot of the technology with them to like reverse for the American market. Cause a lot of it didn't um, make sense for the American market. It was more tailored towards the European market. So we worked with them to really tailor the technology and it was a lot of um, dialing in the recipes with local roasters here and like really getting the product perfected with them too. Cause they're the the best, you know, the biggest coffee snobs, biggest coffee connoisseurs. And we were just learning about coffee. Like we loved it, but we didn't know much about it at that point. So, uh, it was really fun. It was a really fun creative process being able to, to do that. You said that the machines were adjusted. Is that like UI, like interface, like user interface kind of stuff? Is that programming? Yeah, it's more of programming and, with the actual recipes, like dialing in and um, customizing the uh, capabilities for the amount of grams for each drink and um, adjusting like the the bean size, the hopper, the the espresso, like the, how many um, grounds of beans are going in, et cetera. So it was a lot of like customization in that way. But I mean, now the innovation we're working on is tenfold. This was in the very beginning. Um, but yeah, no, and we still work with that same manufacturer today. Oh, okay, cool. You still got it going. Yeah. What? So what, when did you guys start this? It would have been four years ago, five years ago? So the beta that we launched was my senior year, 2016. And then we took a year off and kind of just like raised the round and did a bunch of R&D. And we relaunched in 20, end of 2017. So I, okay. I wouldn't say we were like really, we weren't like making money from a machine in a public location till like end of 2017. Okay. And how was that? How did that do? 
yeah, I mean, it was a lot of trial and error. Like we had to figure out what kind of location this would make sense for. And also we had to convince them to let us place the machine in their building. Right. And it was definitely a challenge. Like in the beginning, it was an insane amount of rejection. Like I think I got over a hundred no's before I got my first yes. And I remember getting super discouraged thinking like, is, am I, are we the only ones that think this is going to work? Like, does no one else believe in this vision like we do? And eventually, you know, you get your first big name client and then you can use them for credibility purposes. And it's kind of like a snowball, but getting that first person to believe in you, our first client, I think took us um, some time. That's wild. I'm surprised you wouldn't have been able to go to like just to like the schools and say, hey, throw this in your library for, you know, whenever your coffee shops close up. Yeah, no, San Diego State was very challenging. They like were throwing me in a thousand directions and not being super supportive. So yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, we, we don't Talk. have to give them too much air time. <laughs> yeah. Lots of red tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, is it, you're saying that it's difficult to clean, difficult to do different stuff. Do you have to have like a technician go out there and like fix all that stuff for you? So, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, my brother and I, there was no U.S. based tech team. We had to teach ourselves how to break these machines down and put them back together. So wow. we became, you know, over those first two years, we became vending technicians. I'd constantly be going to different machines to fix grinder jams or place parts, cleaning and restocking the machines every weekend. Um, they needed to be cleaned and restocked every week. So, you know, it was a lot of manual labor, but if we didn't learn how to do that ourselves and like, we didn't know how the machines worked to the best of our ability, like, and Tristan, actually my brother became way more knowledgeable than I ever was. Like he actually like was naturally really good at this is at breaking things apart and, and really building the machine back and fixing different parts of the technology. But, um, for me, it was definitely something I had to, um, rewire my, my mindset to teach myself that I'm like, I can do this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, luckily we were able to master it because if we weren't able to do that, we wouldn't be able to hire other people and really train them, you know, and know exactly what their roles entail. I mean, that's whenever you, that's when you know, if you know something is if you're able to teach it to somebody else. Totally. How now to get a little bit back to the spirituality, is this playing any role in the success of you and the company? Are you meditating, doing any spiritual practices, um, maybe vision boards with regards to the company? Yes. So I guess backtrack to my senior year of college, I was diagnosed with this like health condition that, um, that basically I think was the catalyst for my like spiritual journey and more of like inward self-reflective journey where basically um, it's a really random like health issue, (laughs) but I had to get jaw surgery where essentially like the joints in my head became arthritic where they basically just started like um, resorbing and shrinking. So I found that out by my bite. Like I had braces growing up. My, My bite was like totally normal, but in college my bite started morphing. And so like I had a really big open bite by the time I finished college. And the only way to fix this problem was to get reconstructive jaw surgery where they break your upper and lower jaw. You have to get braces after graduating college and they wire your mouth shut and like rebuild it back together. And so your mouth is wired shut for a couple months and you really can only blend food and like drink liquids. And, um, 
that entire journey for me was, I think, the start of like my own spiritual journey. That's like what got the process started. Yeah. Cause it was the first time where, I mean, A, I felt extremely alone. I felt like a victim. I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, I felt like that was my rock bottom. You know, like I was in a really low place, like had to get braces after graduating college. Like you're supposed to start your life, not like reverse backwards <laughs> when you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like having to go through that, well, I had a really bad lisp because my bite was open. And so I was super self-conscious about how I was speaking. Um, you know, I was going through skin issues, like acne at the time too. And um, just a bunch of things were going against me, I felt like. And this whole jaw surgery I felt was going to like put me back. And, you know, that whole, it was pretty much like a year of my life. I had to really focus on like healing. And um, that's when I started meditating. I started journaling. I started watching YouTube videos of all these inspirational people who I still look up to to this day. And learning way more about like the mindset and how important the mind really is. And yeah, I think that was like, that was in 2016, 2017. That was the year after I graduated. The summer after I graduated is when I was like really forced for the first time to like reflect and dive inward. And that's whenever you notably also started putting the vending machines up with 17. Yeah. So that was, um, by the time I had my surgery, I had a couple machines out. They were in like random places, like a rock climbing gym. Um, I can't remember other, like a salon. Like it was like random places that I convinced certain people to let us place the machines in to get some feedback. So it was the very beginning of our business. Um, but yeah, I remember my brother had to like, he was still in college in Austin and how to like fly out and help out with like the routes, which is cleaning and restocking the machines while I was like under in surgery for a couple months recovering. Wow. So it really took a team effort to get it working. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it was a team effort from the beginning. That's pretty cool. That, but it's something I find interesting, at least, is they say not to get into business with uh, friends and family. You feel like that hasn't been an issue for you too? No, I kind of feel like there's no one else that I could – Really, like I think I'd rather go in business with my brother than a friend because with your sibling, there's no other level of trust that you can have than with your family, I think. And that level of closeness, like the challenging part is boundaries, right? Where it's like setting boundaries to where you have to start really being able to respect that person and treat them like a colleague and put those lines up of where you're not, you know, don't text and call this person every, you know, second of the day. Those are things that are hard right. to implement, you know, in a sense of like differentiating those two categories. But I think, you know, luckily for us, we had a great yin and yang where our skill sets really complemented each other and it worked really well. That's awesome. Do you talk to your brother about like the spirituality type stuff? Yeah, for sure. And he knows I'm like this, but I would say he's open-minded and he's, he can be spiritual in a sense, but, um, I wouldn't say like to the extent that I am, I don't know if he, I think it's there inside of him. He just needs to, um, discover it. <laughs> Allow it in. Yeah. Do you feel like this is something I've noticed and I, I get mixed reviews on this. So I'm curious what you think. Do you feel like you see more women or men in the uh, spirituality space? I 
I think maybe because I'm a woman and I have attracted a lot of other friends, like women into my life that are on the same wavelength. I think it's, I don't think it's one or the other. I just think I know more women in my life that are than I, than men. But I, the more, but like I'm meeting more and more men who are spiritual too. So it's just like finding them, but I don't know. I think I'm, I would say more women, but that's just because of my circle. Okay. What do you believe? I, like, I Yeah, I feel, I'm not sure. I feel like I see more women and my mind goes to thinking it's more of just like an empathetic or emotional kind of thing. Like a lot, I, I believe that a lot of intuition goes into kind of spirituality in general, right? Like there's no physical, there's really no, like that's a weird way to put it but like there's like no physical item that like like you can drop a ball right and we can measure that it dropped at you know the acceleration of the drop was 9.8 you know meters per second squared we can measure you know these different aspects of it but like i feel like there's something with personally i feel like something where women are like almost closer emotionally to kind of these things and so it I think what it is, closer yeah, no, to it. what you were saying, like along the lines, I think what it is, is I think men grab onto needing more proof and logical minding minded and they are more like, they need to see that rational aspect of things. Whereas, I mean, for me, I can't speak for like all women, but I feel like I gravitate more towards, um, the intuitive side, like the feeling clairsentient, like having a gut feeling versus like having to, to see actual living proof or evidence. Do you think that makes it easier for you to like imagine? For sure. I think. Do you have like really vivid like uh, imagination? Yeah. I think I've always had a bit of imagination when it comes to like daydreaming and whatnot. But then when you talk about like meditation, I don't have a lot of vivid, um, meditations where I'm actually seeing visuals that doesn't happen for me, but it more happens when I'm like, you know, driving or if I'm like about to go to sleep or just waking up, I'll have like vivid daydreams, but it's not, I don't know. I think it's different for me when it comes to, cause I know a lot of people who have very vivid like daydreams or visuals within meditation. Really? I've never heard a different, the differentiation there. Yeah, I don't know. I was talking to a couple of friends the other night and they have very like distinct visual um, experiences when they're meditating. That's never happened to me before yet. Have you tried to or is it just like? Yeah, I mean, I definitely try to and I don't know what it is. I think it's like just doesn't, I don't get there. I think when I'm trying to, it doesn't happen. But if I'm driving or if I'm like getting into my subconscious state, it just flows like naturally. It just kind of comes out. Versus like trying to force it. Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess I never really try to force it, but like, so when you meditate, what's something you usually like would see? It's just dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> or thoughts pop in. It's like, it's like thoughts and I'll maybe I'll see that, but I'm not like visualizing what the meditation's telling me to visualize. Oh, uh, okay. So you're saying like if you use a guided meditation yeah. and you have visual stuff in it, it's hard for you to actually visualize those things. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I know. I think it's a block I'm trying to like work through. 
but do you think there's any relation to the what it seemed to me like you kind of blocked out a lot of like the acting stuff it, it seemed to me like you did maybe you didn't i don't know what you think but it sounded like you were just recollecting all that recalling all that do you think there's a connection there at all i don't know i really don't i think my memory it's like if i don't think about something for a long time i feel like it just suppresses naturally like i haven't thought about the acting thing in so long like i don't think there's a reason why i'm i'm not i'm really not embarrassed about that part of my life there's no reason why i'd be like suppressing it intentionally um there definitely are things in my life that i for sure have suppressed and like you know and blocking um but it's not the acting thing I think when it comes to like meditating and visuals, it's, I think everyone has different like gifts that they resonate more with. For me, I'm way more in like feeling, like I have gut feelings and knowings where it's like, and that's called clairsentient where it's not really the, I forget what it's called when you see, um, I'm blanking, like clairaudient is when you hear, but I don't, it's it's not clair, clairvoyant, maybe it's clairvoyant, but that's never been something that I, um, I guess resonate with, I'm more of like a feeling person and like, I can I sense other people's energy really well and like walk into a room and get the vibe right off the bat. Or I will get gut feelings or intuitive downloads and feelings all the time where I'm just like, I know that's what I need to do. And I don't need to explain it to anyone. I don't need to rationalize it in my mind. Whereas a lot of men I think need to rationalize it. And that's where they get caught up. Like my brother and I will get in fights where I'm like, I just, this is my gut feeling. He's like, I don't give a fuck about your gut feeling. Like (laughs) this is business and we have to do it this way. I'm like, it's, you know, it's like, you know, that's the, the disconnect. Yeah. (laughs) But maybe that's good for a a business relationships that you have. It is. It's great. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) No, I could definitely relate to that though. And it's kind of something we also touched on was like, you know, that, that need for structure versus that chaotic, like, oh, well, this just feels right. And it's, it's so hard. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I, and maybe it's a masculine quality where it's just like so hard for you to kind of put your faith in something else, you know, something else mystical, something else that's not you, like to trust your gut in a sense. Yeah. But I feel like if you reframe thinking that it's not you, it is you, you know? That's a good point. Well, that's, that's getting pretty deep though there. Yeah. It's like, you just don't think about it. I don't think about it as like, it's not me. I think about it as it's like the, you know, the real me. The, uh, the authentic. Yeah. It's like your soul versus like your human, your ego. So I guess it would be more of ego protection that would be keeping you from trusting your gut feeling? Yeah, for sure. Because the ego is like the brain that's trying to say, you know, oh, but that's not rational. Oh, like it gaslights yourself. Like you gaslight yourself saying like, why are you, you know, second guessing everything you're, you're intuitively feeling. And then, you know, maybe you'll do what your ego wants. And you're like, I should have not listened to that. And it made me get in this situation where now I, you know, I regret it. It's funny uh, when you were kind of like talking about that, I have actually kind of experienced the opposite where I get that like intuitive download and maybe it's kind of the same thing, but there's like one particular instance that's sticking out where you get that, like I got a download, let's say that it was like, okay, essentially something was never going to happen again. And I was like, 
I was like, nope, fuck that. Like, I'm going to put all of my ego into making that thing happen again. And, you know, now we're sitting here, it still hasn't, but it like, it's become that it becomes this like force of just like, like wanting it's, it's like fighting yourself almost. It's like, I want this to be wrong. It's like, I want this intuitive thing to be wrong so that I'm right. But meanwhile, like you said, it's still a part of you. It's like, you're having this internal war over something that isn't necessary. Yeah. It's like, you're battling with yourself. It's like, why can't we just become in alignment and not be fighting ourselves? (laughs) (laughs) And that's so interesting because I'm trying to relate this to my one thing, but maybe there's a level of like, there's that societal or cultural imprint that gets placed and is more guarded by your ego or your your ego almost attaches maybe more to the culture or societal stigma and so that i don't know maybe i'm up to i'm up for debate on that one but i'm just spitballing here but then that like covers up your true authentic self or that thing that is for your highest good or best interest I feel like you need to tell me what you're talking about because you kind of lost me there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew. Um, <laughs> oh, am I getting a little too uh, too vague maybe? Yeah, I think it's too vague um, so I can't um, understand where you're going with it. Well, I mean, or just, I guess I'm, I guess I'm kind of trying to keep it vague because I want it to be a more metaphysical conversation, right? As okay. opposed to this like specific instance. So reframe what you're saying. Okay. Let's try to restart that. Let's do a little rewind. (laughs) Do you hear my dog or is it okay? No, I haven't heard him yet. Okay. He's whimpering a lot. Just making sure. Uh, Okay. Yeah, we'll double check on the on the reel or the reel, the clip, whatever it's called. Um I'm losing my train of thought. (laughs) Oh man. Uh what were we talking about? The ego and something else. Oh, fighting yourself, getting intuitive download. Getting into alignment. Yeah. yeah so, hmm. like if there's, it's like that car, right? Let's use the car for it. Well, I guess we're getting into a specific example. But if it's like a car that you want and like you get this intuition that you're never going to get the car, but your ego is still sitting there saying like, no, we're going to get it. We're going to make it happen. You know, this is what the way is, you know, it's like, at what level are you now just fighting at? Like, are you fighting the journey? Maybe it's more of just like fighting the journey. I see what you're saying. You're like trying to control the outcome to where you're not letting things like flow and play out and surrendering to like the universe. Yeah, I guess so. I heard that. I'm not sure what that was. But My dog that. is being the worst. <laughs> he's a puppy and just like crying like crazy. And it's fine. He'll, he'll get over it. Yeah. He's been good so far. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's like, I think everyone kind of like, I guess for my own spiritual journey, did you ever read Journey of Souls? I forget if we no. talked about this. I think you recommended it, but I haven't gotten it to you. Because that to me was like the, what opened my eyes to like actual spirituality. And like not, I don't even know if it's considered spirituality, but like, I guess the state of consciousness, consciousness that I'm currently living in. Okay. And. It's gotten you to like the next, the next. Uh, it's just level. gotten me to my own, to where, how I view the world now, like my outlook and my views of like how the universe works. And I feel like. 
like what you're saying with men versus women. Like I think a lot of men, I actually have a guy friend who loved two guy friends who loved the book and like really, really um, resonated with it. And they, their outlooks changed too. So I don't know. I think just a lot more men have a lot of uh, pushback, you know, they need more rational proof, but it just depends. Let's talk about the book for a bit because I see it says it's a case study of life between lives. So yeah. It- so basically, and what's interesting is there's two other books out there, very similar, written by different people, written by, so they're all written by hypnotherapists where they get thousands of people, like their patients into a hypnotic state. And it's like a subconscious hypnotic state where they get them into where they're asking them all these questions and they all say the same thing, which is like, you can't make that up. Like for me, I was like, there's just, there's no way all these patients like get into hypnotic states and regurgitate the same information throughout three different authors, three different books, all these case studies. And it's so interesting because it's journey of souls. It's the journey of what happens to when you, you die and like what happens in spirit world, like in the afterworld, the other side. And when I read is that what they're repeating, is that what they're like repeating that's been validated? Yeah, exactly. And it you, goes into so many different realms because there is, you know, the part where you, when you first cross over and then there's what happens in spirit world on the other side and they all go into different, different parts of the journey and it's all crossed over. Like, I mean, not crossover. It's all like, um, I guess there's a bunch of crossover. Like they all say a lot of the same things and it's, they all say the same messages throughout the different books too, which is so interesting. But when I read this book for the first time, it was like an aha. It was like, oh my God, I know this. Like I felt like I was remembering it for the first time, but it wasn't like I was learning it. It was more of a remembrance and it felt so deeply true to me. And I, I don't know, it's like one of those things where I just intuitively felt like this was so right. And it's changed my entire outlook of how I view the world. And I mean, I can get into it too. I'm like, what the basic, like, please, I'm interested to hear what, what these, uh, commonalities. And I guess are. the main takeaways that I had from it are essentially that we're all souls. We're all these infinite beings, right. And we're all one and we're all connected and we reincarnate into these human bodies that we choose for ourselves. Like we, pre-select our life in spirit world. And basically we all have our own like soul cluster and crew of the same people that we reincarnate with together. So essentially like the metaphor they give is it's, life is kind of like a play and you, you all pick different characters you're going to play in each life together. And the purpose is to really learn certain lessons in this life. And you all have your own roles that you play and you come to life on earth and we know that life on earth is like the hardest fucking planet to have. It's like very dense here. Like we know that going into it and we incarnate knowing that. And we, we come here knowing like what lessons are we really trying to learn and what karmic cycles are we here to break? And the whole purpose is to really evolve and ascend as souls. And it's like, you're all evolving and ascending together in your cluster and like getting to the next level. So it's like, you come here and you fuck up, you do it all over again kind of thing. And it's wow. so interesting because it's like kind of gamifies life in a sense where you're like, I mean, you shouldn't not take life seriously, but you also should like have fun with life because it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you should come here and want like try to be the best person you possibly can. And obviously not like 
think it's a joke because it's karma is real and cause and effect. But it's like, if you understand how to leverage these different laws of the universe of like you were saying law of assumption, attachment, like it's all energy. We're all connected. And it's like, once we can leverage that, we can actually like have fun playing this game and know how it works to like leverage it to our advantage. I mean, there's a lot there to break down. <laughs> I know, but this book like changed my life and it, I don't know. I have friends who didn't like it. It's I, but there's, I guess they liked other books that were similar, like the other ones I was mentioning, but cause this one's pretty cool. repetitive and I mean, I loved it. And I'm interested if people listening felt the same way, but like, even as you were talking about like, what was the phrase you used? You said something about like, you know, your souls are together and then reenacting out this play. Like I could kind of feel tears coming to my eyes. Like I like not in a sad way, but like in that knowing way that you were talking about where it's like this overwhelming energy coming out of nowhere. That's like making me cry. Right. And that's how I felt the whole book where I was like, I fucking knew this. This is all feels so real inside of me. And that's your intuition and your soul saying like, yes, like you're remembering, like we're supposed to remember, you know, at least if you're not everyone's supposed to remember, I think some people aren't meant to wake up in this life, but I think as a collective, more people are waking up now than ever. And it's conversations like this that can inspire it for people. You know what I mean? And I mean, that comes back to the whole crux of why I started this podcast, I guess, totally. was to go on to this and to discover this stuff for myself and talk to the people who are discovering it. And shit, I mean, this book definitely got higher up on my list. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it it was amazing. Like, it, it really made a huge impact on my life. And then what's crazy is you start reading other books in the spiritual category and they all say the same messages in different ways. So it's like, it just starts making sense. All the puzzles start fitting together. Everything starts clicking and you just start like having more and more breakthroughs every day. But it's like, you can read something one day and then you read, it, like it gets mirrored back to you in real life and then it will click and you'll have this aha moment and you're like, oh my God, it all makes sense. And yeah, it just continues to happen over and over again. You get like this like validation somehow from the outside world like you say it enough time internally, then the outside world's like, yep, here you go. Yeah. But you have to learn it yourself. Like someone else can't tell you it for you to learn it. And this probably leads into a great way for business. It's like you can read all the business books in the world, but until you start your own business, you have no idea how to do it. Exactly. And I think starting your own business and being an entrepreneur teaches you, I think it's like a a flash course on self can you hear that? A little bit. <laughs> oh my God. It's like self-discovery. It's like you learn so much about yourself through entrepreneurship because it really challenges you and pushes you to your core. And I think, yeah, from business books and learning through other, you know, people's stories on podcasts, that's not going to really like teach you how to start your own business. Right. Right. I mean, you just have to start doing it. It's like even even podcasting, for instance, like you can listen to 500 podcasts, but that doesn't mean that you can just start and set up your own podcast and start pressing record. I mean, I don't know. I guess you kind of can. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad analogy. No, but it's true. Like when I was listening to podcasts before I started my own, I was always listening to the guest, right? And then once I started my own, I started listening to the the host and it changes your whole perspective because you don't realize how hard it is to actually – um guide a conversation and be a host versus like the guest 
it changes your whole thought process around it. And it made me start to overthink actually the host side of things because I was never thinking about it like that beforehand. And then you start it yourself and you're like, oh shit, like I actually have to guide this and, um, you know, control where the conversation goes, but also allow it to flow and then stay present in the conversation. (laughs) It's just like a lot goes on in your mind where you don't think about that before you start it. No, (laughs) that's actually a good point because even like, it's like, as you're talking, I'm trying to, there's like this mixture of me trying to listen to what you're saying. And then, okay, if she ends it after this sentence, what am I thinking of, you know, to kind of keep that conversation going? Exactly. And that's a skill. I think that's something that you have to practice. And it's not something that, at least for me, it wasn't, it, I didn't think about having to have to have that skill beforehand. You didn't think about having, yeah, you kind of just like have been flowing with it. Well, no, I was always just thinking about it from the guest side of things, listening to the podcast. Like uh, I never thought about it as like, oh, that person actually asks great questions to, and you know, uh, create this like amazing conversation that just flows so effortlessly. <laughs> and that's kind of, yeah, something to, you know, give the credit where it due. Like you kind of have to see that balance, right? Of, you know, where, what do you pick up on to talk about next? It's like, where are we going after this? Like, you know, it's, it's finding the right words that are the right items that have like the most charge to them or something like that, where you want to just pick up on those threads and kind of try to pull those strings. Totally. So where, what's up with uh Vendy bean? You're going to fl- let's flick back to that real oh, quick. Oh yeah. So much there? is going on. I'm really excited about this year in particular, just because it's kind of like the year of innovation for us and the year of partnerships. And I guess right now we have 180 machines out in the wild and we're currently like set up shop in um, Southern California, like Orange County, LA, San Diego, Dallas, Texas, North Carolina, like the triangle area. And then we're opening up Seattle this next quarter and let me let me yeah. cut you off real quick because I just realized that we're already on the ascent. You're you're going back up. We need to we need to chop it back because you said in 2020, whenever everything kind of oh down, I you mean like I I skipped a whole chapter. Yeah, I I'll I'll take the blame for it. Okay, because I thought you were talking about the <laughs> I, present. Okay, so I, let's go back. I was I was, but I just realized after you started talking, I was like, wait, wait, wait. We need to hear the where you guys were when you're at the lowest. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's go back. So back to COVID. Okay, so fast or rewind to January 2020. We're like starting to hit our goals for the first time ever. We're like about to hit our numbers. We were super excited. What were those numbers? It was going to be like a million dollar company. So basically a little over 100K a month. Okay. And um, we're on track. And then COVID happens, literally. And me, my brother and I were convinced it was going to be like a three-week thing. We're like, okay, this will pass. <laughs> like I'm sure most people, a lot of people thought this. Like there was memes about it. And you know, my dad was like, this isn't going anywhere. You guys need to get realistic. And we're like, no, 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 like it'll pass. And then we actually, you know, like the rug gets ripped out from under us and we realize like, oh shit. And our revenue just like 95% dropped. And I was in such a low place. Like I remember for, I I think about two months straight, I just felt like depressed. Like I was like, I have no purpose. I don't know what to do with myself. I went on long walks, like 
hour long walks throughout the day. That's all I would do and listen to podcasts and cry. <laughs> like Jeez. I just felt so sad and low and thinking like, you know, it's also hard because I had a lot of friends who had companies that were skyrocketing during this time and watching that, like I was happy for them, but then seeing my company crumble, I was like, why did I choose this, this industry? Like, you know, it, it just made me question everything of like, what, why is the universe doing this to me? Like questioning my beliefs on manifestation, everything. And that was probably like two and a half, three months. And then I went to this rock that I go to like overlooking the ocean and I just had this meltdown. And I remember, um, crying and then just asking the universe, like, what do I do? Like, what's going to happen? I'm so scared. Like something we've been putting our like blood, sweat and tears into the past four or five years is essentially like crumbling to pieces and could be completely destroyed. And I just felt this like wave rush over me of surrender, like out of nowhere. It was like this feeling and I was like, everything's going to be okay. I need to stop focusing on everything that's going wrong and just start focusing on having fun and feeling joy again. And this was just like an intuitive feeling that I had. And so I made a conscious effort to put my energy into things like that I could enjoy and learn and have fun doing. So for me, like at that time, that was TikTok. Like I loved TikTok. It was like up and coming. I had so much fun on this app. I was learning these dances with my friends, doing all these pranks, like having the time of my life on this app, right? Not getting anything out of it besides just having fun. And then my brother introduced me drop shipping. I took a course on drop shipping, started making Shopify websites for fun and was just like learning new skills and having a lot of fun doing it. I took this like other random course and then Tristan and I decided to start dabbling with creating our own direct consumer coffee products. So we started, um, we got, well, we first also got, um, SBA loans. So that helps us stay afloat during this time. So we started having fun branding, creating our own like product line, morphing or migrating our website to Shopify and having fun doing that. And then as like, we're in the process of like really in like having fun in this creative, um, process, this, uh, Marine reached out to us on Facebook and said like in a, a Facebook DM and said, I can get you guys on Camp Pendleton's military base. And I remember thinking like, there's just no way this is real. Like this guy's full of shit. So I told Tristan and he was like, yeah, I mean, let's talk to him and see what he says. It's like, yeah, for sure. So we, um, talked to him on the phone. He seems like a very genuine guy. Uh, we met him in person. One meeting led to the next meeting, one meeting, like then he led, you know, introduced us to the director of procurement at Camp Pendleton. One thing led to the next. And we got a contract with Camp Pendleton, first military contract, 20 machines on Camp Pendleton's military base. And it was like this massive eye-opening experience to a whole niche that we've never touched, right? This whole new market of military that doesn't close down in a pandemic because the military doesn't close. And so it showed me that once you start feeling good and being high vibe, like you're, you become a magnet for attracting opportunities to you versus if you're sulking and sad and depressed and feeling so low, like the second I stopped caring about it, something popped in and it was a total miracle, you know, and it opened my eyes to so much. And so now we're on five military bases and just growing and it really did save us during COVID. And luckily from there, things started opening up. We got, you know, business started coming back schools 
or not schools, but offices, companies started coming back because we do corporate office coffee as well with, as well as like retail for college campuses, hospitals, and military now. But we have two models. So essentially everything that we serviced was closed at the time. (laughs) That's wild. Something I want to try to focus in on, you said you were saying that it was kind of like all going wrong. You had like the self-doubt, self-criticism, and then there was a pivot and you said that there was like a wave that came over you that said surrender. And then after that, everything kind of took off. Was it something that you read or heard or you were doing that like invoked this feeling of surrender? I honestly don't remember if it was anything I read. I think it was just this feeling that I had intuitively, like in that moment, it was like a download in a sense. And then also during this period, like it was after that I read journey of souls. It all like in that chunk of COVID where I had nothing to do was when I started reading spiritual books and journey of souls was the first one. So that was like a very interesting time period because I really started becoming more conscious and aware and like tapping into spirituality. So that's when that started playing a role in my life, which is interesting. But yeah, I I don't remember if it was before or after I read the book, but I want to say it was before I read the book that I had that experience. That's interesting because you had that experience and then the books found you and then this military guy found you and then now it's taken off. Totally. It's it just shows you that there's no coincidences, you know, like everything's so synchronistic. That's interesting. That was something that I, uh, one of my buddies on an earlier podcast, James, he, he was asking me like, you know, do you believe everything is, everything happens for a reason? And I was like, at the time I didn't really know what to say, but I mean, now it's like, yeah, I mean, and that's like, to me, that's something that you could prove at the most logical sense. And then, you know, spiritually as well. Yeah. And it's like, I can look back and say so many reasons why why COVID happened for me that helped me. You know, like if it weren't for COVID, I would have never learned about detachment. Truthfully, it like taught me, I needed to learn in a really hard way to like knock me off my feet or else I would have never fully detached. And I would have never had the awakening to realize that my whole self-worth was revolved around my business or else, you know, because I never felt so you know, I felt like I had zero purpose when Vendi Bean wasn't existent for a couple months. And like, that's not normal. Like you shouldn't feel that way. And so I needed that experience to happen to show me all of this. And, you know, I think it was, it did a lot of things for a lot of people. It had, <laughs> it sounds like a parakeet. My dog. I, it's so distracting. I want to like. You, you're doing a great job. I've only heard him a couple times. He's going he off. I'm glad you can't hear him that much. Oh my God. I just lost my train of thought. But. Um, you were talking about how COVID has been devastating for some people, but for you, it seems. Well, no, like I think it's-, it's been devastating for a lot of people, but even the people who it was devastating for, like they learned something from it. Like it taught them something that. They might not realize it in that moment, but they look back and it it gave them the chance to be able to reflect and and go inward and realize like, okay, I, I actually hate my job and I shouldn't be doing this anymore or, you know, whatever the realization was. I mean, I was in, I was in that same exact boat. I mean, to me, it I I think it probably highlights a very probably life. How do I want to phrase this? 
like something that we can all point to right it's like okay this tragic thing happened to everybody right it happened to all of us so we can all say that we've all been impacted by it in some way shape or form i think it really kind of it kind of was a reset button in a sense where it's like okay we're going to see the people who want to be a victim to what has occurred and then we're going to see the people who actually want to just you know get up by their bootstraps or focus on the positives and kind of really i don't want to say you know divide but it 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 kind of has like highlighted the people that have gone either way or are still trying to make that way towards the positive definitely and i think i went through all the phases like first was victim and then i was like okay what how do i you know get out of this low head space and then i learned that and then i realized way later looking back, oh, that's why that happened for me. You know, it's like, it didn't happen to me, it happened for me. And I think once people shift their mindset, then they can start to realize what they actually gain from the experience. Which is really the crux of it, right? Is like, sometimes you don't know why things are going to happen, are happening to you right now. But then like, once you look back on them, you're like, oh, like that gave me that perspective. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't understand why I just got swindled for $900. It's like, well, it's so you could learn how to not get swindled for $9,000. Exactly. Know, it's, yeah. It's one of those like, it, it's almost like you need to learn how to manage your money before you become rich kind of thing. Cause it's like, otherwise you're just going to burn it all. Definitely. Like, and for me, that whole experience of learning detachment and learning about, you know, my self worth and identity and. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting out of control. Should I go move him really quick? It's like getting um, or what do you think? I mean, you, you had to get out of here relatively soon. I don't know. It's just I, this is really screwing with the audio. I think I need to like move him to another room. Well, maybe maybe he's just signaling that it's our time to maybe uh, it's like wrap it up. The, the struggles of a puppy. Oh, <laughs> well, it let's, gets easier. Let's I mean, look, I think this has been an excellent, uh, what is it, hour and a half conversation. Okay, good. I mean, I've been having such a fun time. It hasn't even feel like an hour and a half. It's just been it's crazy, rolling right? by. Well, let's let's definitely do this again. Yeah. And then we'll make sure that the dog is a little less of a puppy. Yeah. It's like I don't even know where to where I would put him. To, like, <laughs> hopefully separation anxiety, like he grows out of it. I'm sure he will. I think so. It's They're adaptable, right? I hope. Well, what's interesting is I, I've got my dog. She's sleeping behind me right now. You can kind of see her in the I'm picture. Jealous. Uh, <laughs> I had to tire her out to get her to the state. But what was, what something that was crazy was, and I, you touched on about like the soul family kind of thing is I started applying that cause I'm dog sitting right now. So it's just been me and her for the last eight days. And you know, that feeling into intuition and like really like trying to pay attention to it. I like the phrase twin flame. Like I'm like, I I like, I felt it really strong when I looked at her one time and I was like, are you like my twin flame? Like, <laughs> how do you, do you got, know, did you learn what that term was before you felt that? I, I still don't fully know what it means. I've heard other people reference other people in that light, but I don't really like know like the whole, what is it? Tell me what it means to you. To be honest, I'm not, an expert on twin flames. Like I have friends who are twins and it have expressed to me, I've been a part of their journey. And so I'm like close to it, but 
I don't want to butcher it. And I think there's so many different types of twin flame experiences and journeys that there's not one size fits all. I've never heard of a twin flame experience where it's a human and a dog, but there totally could be, you know, like the ones that I've experienced through friendships through my friends are romantic. It's like a guy and a girl. Okay. Um, but I've heard of it where it's could be siblings or a family member, you know, it's like, it's basically when your soul split into two bodies. Oh, so half of your, I, half of your soul is in a different body and it's, you know, so the intu- int- intuitive intuition I have around twin flame is just that it's like someone who knows how to poke you in all the wrong ways kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a very triggering ex- experience, but it's like they, you guys are the same soul and it's like, uh, I don't even feel like I, I'm worthy of talking about it cause I don't know enough about it and I don't <laughs> want to butcher it cause everyone has All their right. own experience and it's like a very sacred thing. Like I, I don't have that experience to share about it. So it's like, gotcha. I see it firsthand and I'm like, I don't think I want a twin. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll have to find a twin flame expert because because just in that the way that you kind of phrase that to me it hits as like well, like in theory, aren't you a fragment of my soul and my soul's a fragment of my soul? Because if we're all totally source energy, right? Wouldn't everything just be a fragment? Yeah, so we're all connected and come from the same source. Like we're all one and connected. But that doesn't, that's totally different than being one soul split into two bodies. So we all are independent individual souls, but we all come from the same source. So because of that, we're all connected and we're all one. But your soul is created and has your own soul experiences and different lives that you've lived, different, you know, lessons and uh, experiences. But when your soul split into two, it's like entirely different. Versus like us all being connected. Okay. I'm just going to take your, I, I get what you're saying, but to me, my mind's still like, well, I, I'm still kind of logically fighting it because to me, it's like, well, she's a version of my soul. You're a version of my soul. No, but, totally. We are, but it's different right. than like, cause we all like your soul being split into two different bodies on earth at the same time is a pretty crazy thing if you think about it. So it's like you're meeting yourself in real life. It's just in a different body. And so usually when that happens, it's like this whole body, whole consuming, like feeling outer body experience, what I've been told, where it's like you can't, you're never the same after that, like ever. Like and after meeting this person? Yes, after meeting this person. And it's very triggering because if it's like meant to be, if it's like a romantic thing, it, there's usually some type of obstacle where it's like one person's more of like the teacher and more awakened and the other person's not. And it's a very like, it's, it's all planned out before you come here and you can't really control how it's supposed to happen and you want to, but you can't. And so it's like some twins are never meant to end up being together or some are and there's so many different types of journeys. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do some research. You should. Find a twin flame expert. You should <laughs> actually get someone on to talk about it. That would be a good idea because I've heard it dropped it's, around a couple times, but it's not a lighthearted thing. Either. Like whenever I have friends, like I have friends talk about it or I have friends in it and it's, it's a lot. It changed, you know, it takes over their life. I can. 
Really? Oh, yeah. And it's it's something that's like a big, big part of their life. So. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> if I haven't stepped on twin flame people enough by saying that my dog is my twin flame, <laughs> then <laughs> I might want to reserve any other comments I have for an expert because because in my mind, it's just like, I mean, there's people out that I've hung out with that trigger me, right? But I just like let it go, right? But here's you, the thing is your dog, you and your dog could have a soul connection. You could have, because um, you have soulmates, like soulmate to me is someone who's in your, like you have a soul contract, right? Like you're, you're <laughs> meant to be with that person in this life for an X amount of period of time. And you and your dog, when you looked into your dog's eyes and felt that, you 100% have a soul connection and you you decided to come to this life and have this bond and like experience this together. So you could totally have felt something and it be spot on. It just might not be a twin flame or it could. I have no clue. Okay. <laughs> like, you saying. could have a twin flame that's a dog. I just, I don't know enough. I don't know about that. But like the people that trigger you and – <laughs> you're getting distracted by your dog it's just so loud i'm hoping it's like not i want to punch him in the face <laughs> but he's so you might cute. not need it by the time you get over there oh my god <laughs> uh all right well let's wrap this up then because um he's going you obviously shit. yeah <laughs> we'll definitely have you back on to have a more in-depth conversation about twin flames once we cross that bridge yeah definitely uh, um so I'd give you give you the floor for a little bit if you want to plug anything, encourage people to do something. Um, I guess you can find me on um, Instagram at just teal.cooper and then my podcast is Real with Teal. And I guess I don't know what I would encourage people to do. If I could say one thing, it would be to, I guess, to try and tune in more to your own um, – intuition and like your own path instead of seeking answers outside of yourself. Because I think at the end of the day, we all know what's best for us more than anyone else does. And it's just counterproductive to, you know, get answers and advice from other people when like we know what we should be doing the most if we just like tune in. Just tune in. Just tune in, tap in, meditate, like go quiet, get quiet and be alone long enough to like hear your own hear your soul speak to you. <laughs> Have you ever done like a hour long meditation? Uh, yeah, I've done Joe Dispenza's before. Oh, okay. Those are, uh, I haven't done his specifically, but like when you meditate for over an hour, that's when you start like enjoy being alone. And I'm just like, this is getting weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I used to not enjoy being alone and now I love it. And I think that it's something that's required in order to be able to hear yourself yeah to to be able to know whenever it's you versus like other people around you that are putting it in feeding the system totally because your energy can get affected so easily by other people and sometimes when you're around people like it, it can linger their energy until you are alone enough and or like intentionally clear it like I do a lot of clearing just like intention like with the intentions just like clearing energy that's that's in me that's on me that's not mine and yeah. just actually like saying that out loud I think also with being alone and getting your own like thoughts in order and being able to tune in and realizing okay 
maybe this is my soul versus ego, or this is coming from someone else that's been like projecting onto me. You know, I don't know. No, I, I get where you're going with it. Like I kind of do that with my podcasts. Like before, before my episodes, I'll try to meditate for like 30 minutes beforehand. And then at the end of it, I'll try to be like, all right, like tap me into, let's say like Teal's energy so that we can have like a good podcast and so that I'm ready, you know, ready for it. I love that. Um, I, I do that too, but not the yeah. meditating before I say like a, I'll say out loud, like to my guides, spirit guides, which I guess I didn't really talk about, but that's a journey of souls too, all about spirit guides, but um, calling on your guides this. and getting them, you know, just saying like a. I guess it could be called a prayer or an affirmation or just like you said, like tuning in the energy of the other person or whatever's meant to be said will be said and like trusting that it's going to create the most like impactful episode possible or, you know, connect with as many people as possible. Right. And then to put a cap on it, then afterwards, it's like to kind of clear your energy out so that you can like focus on what you need to do after the fact too. I feel like that's important as well. No. Yeah, definitely. And I think, it's like a daily thing. It's not, that's the hard part. It's not like you can just do it once and boom. It's like every time you interact with new people, it's like coming back to your center and yourself and getting clear and quiet. And it's a daily, I think, way of living your life. I mean, that's something that I learned with meditating was like, I, so I've been meditating for probably four or five years now, but like in those first year or two, like I, it was just like all negative thought, like, you know, judgment, negative thought, criticism. And it wasn't until about the third year where I caught myself having thoughts of congratulating myself like, oh, dude, it was cool when you helped that person there. It was cool when you did this. And I like I remember I was sitting in the sauna at uh, Shock Fitness in PV <laughs> and yeah. I had that I had like a positive thought and I was like, holy shit, I just had like a random positive thought while meditating. Like I thought it was crazy. That's amazing. Even, yeah. And I, I even shared it on Instagram because I was like so like dumbfounded by it, by it. And then two, I think two people commented back or three people and they were like, you can do that. Like you can get to a positive place with meditating. I was like, yeah, dude, like keep going. Wow. Yeah. See, it's like you hit a milestone and you're like, wow, it actually does work. The work I'm doing is, is making an impact. It like shows itself. Yeah. All right. Well, I heard your dog again. Um, <laughs> guys, if you want to get more in touch with Teal, go check out the links below. Um, I was on her podcast. I don't know when we're going to be, when she's going to release it, but we're definitely going to you know, have to figure that out. Maybe we'll release them at the same day or something. I'm excited um, for it. Yeah. But other than that, Teal, thank you so much for being here. Guys, check out her links down below in the description. Um, share if you learned something cool. If you know somebody that knows twin flames send them my way because i know nothing and <laughs> other than that we'll still we'll see teal again when we got to talk about souls and soul families and soul contracts so thank you clay and i had the best time appreciate awesome. you having me on i'm glad you enjoyed it because i did too definitely did so thanks again and conscious monkeys let's grow together <laughs>